Thank you, everybody, for coming. I really appreciate it. We're holding in very unusual times. Tonight, it's, of course, the second day of Ashkadesh Adar Beis, which is a time of Simcha, but at the same time, over in Europe, in Ukraine, there's a terrible Khurban happening. We really don't know what's going to be. Nobody knows what's going to be. And there's something that really wasn't expected, even though you know there were there were talks uh, the last few months that it might happen, but uh, nobody really thought that it's going to happen. You know, who would expect uh, in 2022 to see one country invading another, really without any pretext, and just bombing cities and 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 killing people? Unreal! Something that we never really fathomed could happen. Shalom aleichem Yehuda. Uh, but here we are. This is the story. This is the situation. And uh, nobody really knows what to expect and what's going to be. But uh, a couple of nights ago, I met with my Rosh Hashim from Eretz Yisrael, who's Adam Gadol Ma'id, very chash of a person, Rabbi Yeshua Eichenstein Shlita. And he said that he feels that this is all part of the Rabbi Nezhalim's plan to prepare the world towards Mashiach. The way he the way he phrased it was, something's cooking, something's cooking, and he, uh, you know, he, he he feels that it it really started with Corona, with the whole world shut down, which was also of course a very unusual thing, and it's continuing now with things that uh, really nobody ever thought could ever happen. So hopefully this is for the good. Someone told me today there's a Gemara in, in Megillah. We actually learned it not too long ago. He pointed that Gemara out to me. The Gemara asks the Seder. The Gemara talks about the Seder of all the brachas in Shmonesrei. Why is it in that specific order that Magen Avram is the first and Mechayim Mesim is the second, and so on? So the Gemara explains that the, the seventh bracha is Re'evon Yenu. Why is that number seven? Says the Gemara because that bracha is talking about the Geula that's going to come, and the Geula is going to come Bashvis. So the Gemara asks that there's actually another Chazal that says. Shvius is when he comes, so it's really like by the beginning of the eighth year, not the seventh year. So the Gemara says, "Yeah, you're right. That's when he comes." But the war that precedes Mashiach starts on the seventh. Gemara Megillah. So who knows if that's not what's happening now? That this is the war that's going to ultimately lead to Mashiach to the Kenu. Alavai, we should all be zeichet to see it. But at the same time, we got to realize that. Uh, we have to be mechazek ourselves that we should be worthy of meriting to see that happen. And of course, Davin, for for all the Yidden that are still trapped there in Ukraine, in a very, very uh, difficult situation. And also be mechazek ourselves. And what better way to be mechazek ourselves than by coming out in the freezing cold to her divritaira? I really, really appreciate it. And also, of course, thank you, anybody listening in the podcast. What's that? Yeah, yeah, right. The Yidden in Russia also. Shalom Chaim. Also, yeah, yeah. It's uh, a difficult, a difficult situation. I was reading today uh, a Chabad rabbi who was in one of the cities. Uh, there was a city that was captured. I forgot what it's called, but he was describing the situation there. How um, they told them, the Russians that are now in control of that city, they said you can only drive up to ten miles an hour. Oh, and. Uh, you know, you're not allowed to carry any weapons, and everybody has to have ID with them. He says he's driving around literally at a very, you know, like, 10, 10 miles an hour or less, and he's carrying with him his passport at all times in case there's any questions, they stop him. 
uh, he, you know, he'll show him that he's just he's just a rabbi who's trying to help out of the Yidden. But a very, very uh, difficult situation, and maybe I should help that uh, all of Klai Yisrael, wherever they are, everybody should be safe. This should be the the continuation of the path which is going to lead us to Mashiach very soon. We're up to Parashas Pikudei, which is also Chazak. The end of Parashas Shemais, the end of Chumash Shemais. And the Chumash ends with the words, Ki Anan Hashem, Ala Mishkan Yoimam. The cloud of Hashem is on the Mishkan by day, ve'eish t'yelayilaboy. And at night there would be a fire, le'enekol beish Yisrael b'chol ma'aseim. Wherever Yisrael traveled throughout the 40 years of being in the desert, the Mishkan was always covered with the cloud of Hashem and with a fire. Or in other words, there was Hashra'as HaShchina throughout that entire time, hovering over and inside the Mishkan. And the Sfarim say that really the whole purpose of all the stories that we've been reading throughout this entire Chumash, starting with the Golos Mitzrayim and Yetzias Mitzrayim and Kabbalah Satayra and creating the Mishkan was really all for this purpose that Klal Yisrael should have the Ashra Sashchina in the Mishkan. It was all for this purpose. It all started off with that in mind. The Klal Yisrael came out of Mitzrayim and we had the Torah. So we all, for the purpose that we should come close to the Rebbeinu Shalolam, that we should merit Hashras Hashchina. That finally happened after the Mishkan was completed. But we have to ask ourselves, how did Klal Yisrael get that schus that they merited Hashras Hashchina in the Mishkan? Such a tremendous thing. Such a tremendous schus. What happened? Another interesting question, if we take a look at the beginning of the parsha, so Pikude literally means the counting which in other words, this is Moshe Rabbeinu giving a detailed account of every single donation that was given for the sake of the Mishkan. We've been reading the last two parashiyas, how the Ebishter told Klai Yisrael that they should donate to the Mishkan, and how Klai Yisrael did. They gave. They gave money, they gave gold, they gave, they gave silver, they gave copper, they gave uh, precious uh, different different types of, uh, of materials that were used in the Mishkan. Moshe Rabbeinu gives an exact account of every single thing that was used. How much, how much gold was given, how much silver was given, and what everything was used for. Literally like an accountant who's going through the books and he's giving an exact accounting of how the money in the company was spent. Sometimes some investment companies do that. You know, you invest money with them and at the end of the year, at the end of the, of the fiscal year, so they send you a detailed list of where they put the money. We put $5 million in this stock and $10 million in that stock and so forth. That people should know. People know, should know where their money went to. So to Moshe Rabbeinu did the same thing. Every single penny was accounted for and it was used and he gives us an exact detail. But at the same time, we have to understand a very interesting question that actually the Zoya Kadesh asks. We know that counting, generally speaking, especially when it comes to financial matters, it's not a good thing. A person shouldn't count his money. He shouldn't de- definitely shouldn't uh, be telling others about how much money he has because that could cause ayin hara. And generally, we know that counting is not a good thing. It's not something that we look upon in a positive way. That's why when we count Yidin, so we don't count them by numbers. We count the Mashiach Samecha and the like. We had earlier the Machzis HaShekel, which is also for that purpose, that we're not supposed to count. So why over here, all of a sudden, the Torah gives an exact, detailed number of all the money that was collected. That's the kash of the Zayra Kaddish. Answers Reb Shemin. He says, that rule that you're not supposed to count 
applies when a person is discussing So then, you don't count. Because when you count, you give a number, let's say, to your money. Let's say you go, you know, you tell people, you know, I have $10 million in the bank, I should have that. Or you say, I have a, what's that? Yeah, exactly, everybody should have that, yeah. So what's happening is, once you put that number out there, the, the, the Satan, the Sitter Achra, he uh, gives you an Ayin Hara. And that's his way of getting hold of uh, whatever success Hatzlacha you have in the financial area. Therefore, Things are hidden. That's the best way. No, don't let the Satan get, it, get, uh, get a hand in your financial accounts. You don't want him there. You want to stay away. But says the Zayir HaKadosh, when it comes to Inyanei Kedusha, now there, there's only bracha. Only bracha, the Satan has no connection to it. He has no achiza there. And therefore you can count. For example, when it comes to Miser, a person wants to give money to tzedakah, so definitely you should count his money for the sake of, giving, of knowing how much he should give to Miser. Why? Same idea. For Inyanei Kedusha, it's a good thing to do. What is the definition? What, what, is it, what exactly is the Zayir HaKadosh saying? So there's a Sefer Sif Sechaim, and he explains like this, there's a Mishnah in Ovis that says, famous Mishnah Perikei, talking about the difference between the Talmidim of Avram Avinu and the Talmidim of Bilam Arosha. These were really two polar opposite people who lived their lives uh, in an entirely different way. And says the Mishnah, if you want to know who you belong to, which group you belong to, if you're from his descendants, his Talmidim or his Talmidim, so you take a look at yourself. The Mishnah says, Kamishi yesh you have these three characteristics. We know that you're from the Talmidim of Avram Avinu. What are they? In other words, you look good in a positive way. You forget others. You're not someone who uh, has a big asagas when it comes to you don't ask for much. You're happy with a little bit. And you're not a big balgaiva. You know, you know, you don't hold of yourself too much. Then be That's Avram Avinu's mahalach. He looks at everything in a positive way. He's not haughty. He's not a balgaiva, and he doesn't expect much. He's happy with whatever the Rebbeinu Shalolim gives him. Bilam Arush is the exact opposite. He has an iron raw. He sees someone has something. He wants it. He's like, oh, why in the world does he have it? Why not me? Veruach Yavaya. He wants a lot. He's not satisfied. With just the basics, he's not satisfied with it. Whatever it is that he has, he wants the top of the top. He wants the steak. He wants the filet mignon. He wants the cream of the cream. That's what he wants. V'nefesh rechava. Right? Actually, that's nefesh rechava. Ruach He holds of himself a little bit too much. So whatever it is, person is following the the uh, the hanhagas of Avraham Avinu. He looks at things in a positive way. You're good. Chalila, the opposite is. Then, then that's, that's the Talmidim of Avram Avinu. And he explains like this. What, what, is the, what is the meaning of this? Avram Avinu has a way of looking at things. Bilam Marosh has a way of looking at things. What's, what's going on here in this Mishnah? And he explains that we can look at the world in two different ways. A person can say, you know, there's a world here that's meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be enjoyed. And who's going to enjoy it if not me? So anytime I see something that's good, I see something that's nice, that suits my fancy. I want it. Because really, this is what the world is all about. It's about enjoying. So why in the world should someone else have it and not me? I want to get it. That's the cook of Vilam Arosha. He doesn't look at the world as if it's controlled by the Rebbeinu Shalom. He sees the here and the now. He sees something good. I want it. 
And that's how he looks at things. So if he sees something that, that, that he doesn't have, and he likes it and he wants it, he feels it for himself, he wants it for himself. He doesn't forgive the other guy. So why in the world should he have it? Why not me? That says the Zayah Kaddish, and that's what the Zayah Kaddish means. You're, you're putting it in Ayin Haro, and in a sense what you're doing is you're, so to speak, disconnecting the Rebbeinu Shalaylam from this world. You're saying, you know, there's no Rebbeinu Shalaylam that's involved, it's this world only, and I want it. You're taking away the Rebbeinu Shalaylam's bracha from the thing, that's causing a period, and that can cause, literally, physically, that can cause harm to whatever it is that we're dealing with, because you're looking at it in the wrong way, that's how Bilam Marasha looks at things. But Avram Avinu sees things in a different way. He says, this is the Rebbeinu Shalom's world. And everything that's here is created for the sake of serving him better. So the Rebbeinu Shalom has a plan. And he gives certain people certain things so they can fulfill the plan. Doing their tafkid. And he has, he has a plan for me also. He gives me whatever I need to fulfill my tafkid. But I don't have to be jealous of someone else. Because that's not part of my tafka. That's not what that's not what I need to serve the Rebbeinu Shalaylam in a good way. And that's the definition of an ayin toiva. You look at things. You're not looking at it as if it's a disconnect between the Rebbeinu Shalaylam and the world. You're saying, no, no, no. It's really one thing. It's the Rebbeinu Shalaylam's world. He has one big plan here, and he, you know he kind of lays out his plan based on the uh, ways he understands, and he gives everybody what they need. But really, it's all one thing, that we're all here to serve the Rebbeinu Shalom for the same purpose. So you use your talents for the Rebbeinu Shalom, you use your talents, you use your talents. And of course, everybody here has tremendous talents. I don't want to be but anybody knows, Shlomo, for example, he's the, uh, the right-hand man across the street, takes care of everything. And Ari, over here in the shul, as we know, takes care of everything. And I want to thank Ari also for picking up the sushi tonight. Yeah. We really appreciate it. For me, it's, uh, not, it's, it's not a small thing, because you know it's, it's just another... Another thing that has to be taken care of, so I appreciate it very much. And, and Chaim, of course, does so much for the shul. And Yehuda also, uh, ever since he moved there, also very involved. So everybody has their talents and their kishrenas, and the Rebbeinu Shalom says, I'm giving you what you need to serve me. And if you look at things in that way, that's not going to cause Ayin Hara. That's Ayin Toiva. We're saying, we're all in this together, we're all doing what we have to, all for the sake of your Rebbeinu Shalom, and we're good. Therefore, that's how Avraham looks at things. So now, we can understand... What's happening here by the counting of the Mishkan? The same thing. The Rebbeinu Shalom says, you know, everybody, everybody, uh, everybody gives money. They, they gave money here. But what's the point of the money? They're not giving it for themselves. They're not giving it for COVID. They're giving money for the sake of connecting to me. For the sake of building the Mishkan together. To make a Mokim of Ashkina of all of Kali Yisrael coming together. So of course when it comes to such a thing, there's no Metzias of Ayin Hara. There's no Metzias of any... Negative feelings. Everybody's doing their part. And as we've been reading the last few parashiyas, you know, there were people who felt connected to the weaving. There were people who felt connected to the building. There were people who felt connected to the cutting. Whatever it was, everybody had their talents. Everybody had their kishrinas. And of course, there are other, other things as well. Different people gave different donations. Everybody had their part that they brought. And when everyone comes together, for that purpose, that not only is it not causing ayin hara, adra, but that causes ayin toiva. And this ultimately is what leads to Ashura Sashkina, as we see here in the parasha, the Klai Yisrael was zeichetu by the Mishkan. So what we see from here is a tremendous thing, is that the best way to merit the brach of the Rebbeinu Shalom is to have that feeling of being able to fargin for Yenem, to feel good for the other person, to look at people in the proper way and say, you know what? This is what the Rebbeinah Shalom wants for him. And he should be blessed with that. The Rebbeinah Shalom has something for me in store as well. And the Mitzvah Shem, I'm going to use whatever he gave me 
to serve him better as well. And when we look at things in that way, imagine how the world is going to look different. I want to tell with you to, to, to tell you a couple of interesting stories. Chosheva uh, Rebetzin, who lived here in Brooklyn, not going to say her name, she had come from Eretz Yisrael, and I was friends with her son. And they were making a wedding. One of his siblings was getting married. And being that most of the family was in Eretz Yisrael, <laughs> so, um, you know, they were hoping that family members would come in for the Simcha. Well, what happened? This family said, we're not coming. This uh, uncle and aunt said, we're not coming. Oh, some uncle and aunt coming. So he told me, the friend told me, you know, his mother said, when it comes Rahman al-Itzlan to Atzara, someone's sick. Or even worse, you know, there's a Levaya Khalila. Everybody comes running. People hop on the plane. At a moment's notice, they come. But why is it when it comes to a Simcha, people aren't rushing to, to participate in the Simcha? Come on, it's a Simcha. It's a happy time. But for some reason, it's harder for people to do that, to step out of their comfort zone, to join together in the Simcha. <laughs> right, right. And then he was saying, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, that's not a nice thing. You know, we should, <laughs> we should be looking forward to the Simcha and, 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 and stepping out of our comfort zone Exactly for that purpose. And that too ties into this idea. Another story which I shared here once. Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz, the Mir Rosh Hashiva, had a son-in-law who was also a Shiva. The Mir, his name was Abnochem Partsovitz. One of the big Mabritzi Tayyar of his time. Uh, somewhere in the 1970s, Abnochem, he uh, started suffering from <coughs> MS, multiple sclerosis, which is all a degenerative disease, which takes away the person's ability to uh, control his body. He came here to America for medical treatments and he got covered malachim. He was here in Flatbush and he was put up by a house of a Talmud, a very nice house, and people would come to him every single day. They would talk to him in learning. They would take care of minyanim for him, take care of everything that he needed, really covered malachim, as befitting a very chashav Rosh Hashiva as he was. Well, someone told it over to his father-in-law, Abchayim Shmulevitz. Uh, you know, Nachum was really, he's really uh, having tremendous COVID here in America. He started crying. He said, it's not, it's not a kunz, it's not hard. It's easy, actually, to have Rachmanus on someone who's a nebuch. On a sick person, it's easy to have Rachmanus. What's he saying here? It's the same idea. You know, you see someone who's a cripple nebuch. Of course you're going to take care of him. You're going to help him out. But really, that's not how it should be that it has, the person has to reach that stage that he should get the cover that he deserves. Covered when he's feeling fine. That's what he needs. Fargin for Yanim, feel good for him, respect him, give him the respect that he deserves. That is really the ideal way of living living a Jewish life. And as we see here in the parsha, that's what the Rebbeinu Shlomo wants. And that is how we can merit Hashras Hashchina. This word Fargin really doesn't have a translation in English, uh, which makes sense because you know American culture <laughs> is built on living life, liberty. And the pursuit of happiness. In other words, I'm in it for myself. As long as you don't bother me, I have no tightness on you. You know what I mean? But really, it's for me. It's for my happiness. But that's not how we view things. We view things now. We're in this world to help others out. We're in this world to work together as a klal, as a community, as one entity that, as we said before, to serve the Rebbeinu Shalom together. That's how klal Yisrael views things. So in klal Yisrael, we do have this word in Yiddish, fargin, or farginen, to be happy for another person to be happy at their successes, to, to be there for them, to smile at them, and not to, uh, not to look at them in a way that's saying, you know, uh, why did he get it? Why don't I have it? That is not the Jewish view. And this really ties into, as we said before, we're holding otot, 
Just a couple of weeks is going to be Purim Bezus Hashem. That's really the difference between Haman and Mordechai. The way they look at things. They look at Haman. He's at the top of the world. It's everything. The entire kingdom is bowing down to him. He is the second to the king. Whatever he says flies. Everything goes according to his way. He's the wealthiest person. He has the largest family. He's got everything that a person can ask for. There's only one problem. There's one person that refuses to bow down to him. What does someone say? It's not worth it for me. Nothing is worth it for me. Not my money, not my fame, not my power, not my family, not my kids. Nothing is worth it for me unless I have 100% control, unless I have everything that I want. And otherwise, nothing. Because that's how Amalek, which is Haman, he views the world. It's, I'm, I'm in here for me. And if something's not going exactly as I want it, then it's, what am I gaining? What am I living for? It's not worth it anymore. Mordechai, of course, who is his nemesis, he's the exact opposite. Mordechai knows that there's a Rebbeinu Shalom. He knows that there's a plan. And he knows that Rebbeinu Shalom controls the world. So he says no. Even though everybody's bowing down to Haman, even the Yidin are doing it, Mordechai says no, that's not how we work. We know that the Rebbeinu Shalom is in charge. We know that he doesn't want us to bow down to Avayda Zara. And I'm not going to do it, even if people are going to start screaming at me, what are you doing? You're putting us in danger. No, 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 no. This is not my world. This is the Rebbeinu Shalom's world. He's in charge, and I just have to do my part. Which in this case means, I am not bowing down. I'm not going to budge. The Rebbeinu Shalom is going to take care of things. And he was right, because as we read in the Megillah, the Rebbeinu Shalom really had taken care of things. And there was a whole plan that was set in motion from the beginning. Starting already from the fact that oh, the, the Hashverosh was the city of Shushan. Shushan was not the, the, uh, the seat, really, of the king in the, for the Malachim of Madai and Paras. That's not where they sat traditionally. But the Medrash tells us, Chazal tells us, really, there was a whole story that he wanted to build this throne that was similar to the throne of Shleim HaMelech. And the craftsman who built it lived in Shushan. And by the time they finished completing it, it was too heavy to transport it to wherever his capital was. So he was stuck. He had, to have his city. He, had to, he had to change the capital to the city of Shushan. And why did it have to be in Shushan? Because Ishiu, the Yahweh Shushan Abir, that's where Mordechai lived. So the British Lamb had the plan set in motion. Vashti is killed. Esther becomes the queen. There's a story of Bixan and Seresh. Everything was already in place there. Of course, there was one tonight that for everything to fall into place and everything carry out, everything carried out, Claudius, of course, had to do tshuva, as we read about it in the Megillah. It wasn't going to happen by itself. But. The conditions were already there. The Rebbeinu Shalom says, don't worry. If, as long as you do your part, I'm going to take care of you, which is exactly what happened. So that's the difference between the way a guy looks at the world, between the way a Yid looks at the world. How do we view the world? Is it the Rebbeinu Shalom's world? And therefore, I should be happy for whatever person has, be happy for what I have, look good at the other person and be happy for them? Well, the guy, he says... I'm in it for me because this is my world and therefore if I don't have anything I am not going to be happy. And the Rebbeinu Shalom has a plan for everybody and everybody has a tafkid in the world and we just have to trust him and rely on him and don't worry. We see this also at the beginning of the Torah the story of Cain and Hevel. You know, right? The famous story. Cain brings a carbon to the Rebbeinu Shalom and Hevel brings one as well. The Rebbeinu Shalom doesn't pay attention to Cain's carbon. And the reason was because he brought he brought him animals which were of the inferior quality. He brought him like the worst, the worst of his stock. Whereas Hevel brought the best. So the, says the Pasuk. Uh, he did not look at the mincha of Kain. He wasn't happy with it. Kain was depressed. He was depressed. 
And the Rebbe Shalom tells him, what are you upset about? Halayim Tetev says, it's up to you. It's up to you. It's in your hands. I'm giving you whatever you need. It's your <coughs> job now to do what you're supposed to do with it. But don't be upset. Don't be jealous. Hevel did what he was supposed to do. He brought the best. And it's in your hands too to do the best that you can to serve me in the way that works best for you. And if you do it, in Tetev says you're going to be fine. It's really in a person's hand. How we view things, how we look at things, it's all in our hands, it's all in our control. And there's absolutely no reason in the world to be jealous of anybody. And other like we said, we should try to forgive them, be happy for them. That's how a Yid lives his life. It's not something that's easy, but it is something that can be done to different degrees, and we should all try our best. And that certainly is a Gevalda Gehachana for Purim as we prepare ourselves for that great day. And I just want to conclude with a beautiful story. Art Scroll, the great publishing company which has done so much for Klal Yisrael and really is the, uh, the, in a certain way, the greatest Rebbe of Klal Yisrael is Art Scroll. If you think about the Shantin Shas, which really gave every single Yid a way to access Masechus, which you know, he, uh, would previously he wouldn't be able to because it was so difficult. You know, outside the Masechus that you had learned in Yeshiva, you know, how are you going to get to these difficult Masechtas? Like Rey Chaim is doing Dafyayim, he's about to start uh, Yivamis, right? Now, how, how, how is a person going to get to Yivamis? You know what I mean? Right? And, 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 and other difficult Masechtas which will be coming up. So our school came in and they translated the, the Gemara into, into, into English and they translated it to Hebrew. That's nine Masechtas I've not touched before. What's that? I've touched nine Masechtas because of, of that. Oh, because of our school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Givaldik, yeah. So... How did that all start, though, this amazing company? This is, it's 1976, right here in Flatbush. There's a man, his name is Mayor Zlotowicz. He's an artist, and he has his own little publishing company. Not a publishing company, more like a, a graphic design company where people can order, like, uh, ventures or invitations, and he'll make it for you, like a printing, like a printing company. People wanted brochures you know, for their business, those kind of things. That's what he would do. Very talented, you know, a very talented young man. Anyway, uh, it's the winter of 1976, and there was a Rebbe here in uh, Yeshiva Teresemus Kamenitz. His name was Ramir Fogel. He was nifter suddenly, at a young age. Mayor Fogel didn't have any kids. And he didn't even have any siblings. Mm-hmm. He was just, uh, he left behind his, his whole survivors, were his wife and his mother. And he was a good friend with the other, with Mayor, with the other mayor, with Mayor Zlotowitz. So Rezlatos obviously you know, was uh, broken by the death of his friend, a uh, sudden death. And he was thinking, what can I do as a schuss for his memory? And someone didn't leave behind children who can say Kaddish for him even. He said, you know what? It was in the winter. He said, Purim is coming up. I'm going to write a translation of Megillus Esther. And I'm going to make a summary on the bottom of each Pasuk, like a summary from different um, Sfarim, you know, explaining not just the Pshat, but also you know, things that are happening behind the scenes, and different ways of looking at the whole story, different mafarshim. And we're going to print, yeah, I don't mind, 50 copies, we're going to give it out, it'll be a shleishim, and give it out to all the family members, and his friends. Beautiful thing, beautiful idea. And he goes ahead and he does it, he spends several weeks really working very hard, you know, gathering together all these sources for the Megillah, and translating it, and printing it. Right before it's about to go to print, he shows it to his Rebbe, who was his Rebbe of David Cohen. 
Take a look at this. Let me know what you think. Any, 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 any uh, constructive criticism, any feedback, I'd love to hear. Reb David calls him up. He says to Mayor, this is unbelievable. This is amazing. It's wonderful. This is something that Klai Yisrael needs to see and they need to hear and they need to read it. And what are you talking about? What do you, what do you mean? He says, I want you not just to print it in a limited copy like you were saying, 50, 50 copies. I want you to print it out and give it and sell it in all its farm stores here in Brooklyn. Really? Yes, absolutely. This is something that Kalei is waiting for. They need it. And he went on and on, giving him chizuk and telling him how wonderful it was until he started believing it himself, which is exactly what he did. He printed 2,000 copies. Within a few weeks, every single copy was sold. Every single copy was sold. They had to print a few others. A few other... Uh, uh, they, had to, they had to go through a few, other, a few other runs before that Purim. And once Rabbi Zlotowicz saw that there's interest in, in material in English, because up until that point, really, there was no such thing. You know, there was no, there was no uh, accessible material in English where you, know, you could read something and get the exact, uh, the exact translation right there on the same page. What's that? Right, whatever was there, yeah. That's what they used. So he saw there's a demand. So you know what? So he gradually shifted away from his old business and he started working on this and translating Svarim into English. And of course, the rest, as they say, is history. But all of this started from one thing. And he got that call from Rabbi Kohn who said to him, this is amazing, this is wonderful. Now imagine, imagine if Rabbi Kohn would have said, oh, very nice, beautiful mayor. Thank you very much. Would we know our school today? And how would we be learning Shas? How would we be learning all these Masechtas? But no, when you forgive for someone else, you don't know what you could create. You know, you're creating worlds, you're building up the person. So we should try Taka to learn that. And Bezer Hashem, that'll be a schus for Klai Yisrael and all of us, Merzah Hashem, will be zoicha very soon. Amen. Amen.